0: Hello, I'm Darius McDermott from Fund Calibre, and this is the Investing on the Go podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Stijnen, who is the manager of the Elite Rated AXA Framlington UK Midcap Fund. Chris, how are you? Uh,
1: very well, thank you, Darius.
0: So, Chris, we're all working from home, and I think we've, as an industry, we've been pretty successful. But how are you finding working from home? And are there any bits that you miss from being in the office?
1: Yeah, I think on the whole, it's working pretty well, Darius. Um, I'd, I'd say if you sort of, if if I had to commit myself, I'd say it's probably we can get about 95% of the job done from home. Um, unfortunately, the 5% um, that, that, that can't be done at home, I think is actually quite important. Um, so yeah. I'm certainly looking forward to getting back to the office and it is just, it's just simple things like um, seeing how chief execs and finance directors who we meet all the time, how they you know, behave with um, other people on reception, for example, if they're rude to them, it, it tells me quite a lot about them as individuals and as characters. Um, and you know, we have conversations in the lift face to face. We can spend more time just talking around various subjects, whether it's the economy or the banks, uh, how they're behaving or what's happening in the private market or, you know, who in the market is, you know, bidding the least on contracts, for example. Yeah. And that's all very good uh, very good and interesting information. Um, you know, and, it, and we, we ask silly things as well. You know, it's, uh, if we have a chief in, and then we, they're based outside of London and they're staying in a hotel, you know, we'll ask them on the lift down, you know, which hotel are you staying in? And it's very interesting, uh, those just a, as a general rule of thumb, I would say those that have lots of equities tend to, tend to stay in the travel lodge and those that uh, don't tend to stay in the Conald. Um,
0: <laughs> so it's, it's that um, soft 5%, which I'm sure uh, you'll be keen to, to, to get back to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So, Chris, you and I have done these a number of times and you know the, the one thing as a UK equity manager that's come up time and time again is Brexit. But now that we have a sort of a deal, I'm interested to hear from you, if you don't mind, please, what, what you're hearing directly from companies on the ground, uh, what's their thinking and how, how, how are companies sort of looking forward to, to, to UK listed businesses?
1: Yeah, well, we, we, we're very fortunate. We spend a lot of time talking to chief execs and finance directors of companies, and we've been talking to them about Brexit and the implications since 2016. And I would say on the whole, the companies that I meet have taken a lot of preemptive uh, action ahead of the actual event itself. Um, So for example, they've been building up stocks in anticipation of certain levels of friction uh, across border, but they've also been taking longer term investment decisions. So for example, setting up warehousing in Europe if they feel or if they felt that it was necessary in the event uh, of a hard Brexit. From a short-term perspective, um, I would say most of the conversation is around friction at the borders. Um, I'm hopeful that the friction that we're seeing will be relatively short-lived as uh, um, operators uh, get, get more efficient, really, at filling out the additional paperwork. And I would expect, over time, technology to step in and help reduce friction over time so we're not in aggregate we're not seeing it as, as a big issue companies are pretty well prepared uh, but the long term effects really will become apparent as time uh, passes by
0: and you never know people may even buy uk equities again <laughs> the sort of most unloved asset class globally for well since that referendum you know you you never know we might actually get a bit of tailwind for the asset class which i'm sure you would enjoy yeah indeed uh, yeah Another thing I know that, that that you look for sort of part of your process is sort of thematic overview and trying to find structural growth or macroeconomic factors that are giving companies a bit of a push. Have any of the themes changed due to the pandemic or are there any new sort of thematic bits and pieces in your portfolio that you're looking at?
1: Um, I'd say there hasn't been wholesale change, to be honest, Darius. A a lot of what we're seeing, I would say, is an acceleration of what we were seeing before. Um, so if you look at the high street, for example, and we had, we had a seminal moment recently, really, with, um, uh, the sort of demise of Debenhams and Arcadia that people would have seen uh, reported in the newspapers. But that was a real seminal moment for me, just seeing this acceleration to online and away from the high street. And, and that has been accelerated by um, by the effects of COVID. Um, you know, there's been acceleration in other trends as well, pet ownership. Um, we've seen that as a growing market for many years now, but that again has accelerated during um, during lockdown as has the, you know, the digitization of business companies really do seem to be hitting the accelerator in terms of investing in their own digital capabilities. So I would say it's an acceleration of what we've seen before um, on the whole. And there are perhaps a couple of other sort of slightly more subtle things that we're seeing, which might be new and um, that revolves around working from home. Um, We've seen some companies looking to uh, recruit from much further afield than they would have done historically. And I think that's on the assumption that more of their workforce will be working uh, from home, uh, less need to come into an office. Uh, And as a consequence of that, it's just spreading the geographic net that companies can spread in terms of uh, recruitment.
0: And any sort of thoughts on on things like renewables or infrastructure that appear to be topical with respect not just the recent budget but you know the areas that you know government have support into
1: yeah they're they're both um, interesting areas I suppose for for different reasons If if I look through the FTSE 250 index and just as, as a reminder, this fund, I need to invest a minimum of 70% in the mid-250 yeah. index. There's not actually that many renewables companies within it, to be honest. Um, there's a number of companies that um, would give exposure on the AIM market. Um, but, but on the whole, uh, the types of businesses I look at in the mid-cap space, the, 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 the are, there are very few pure renewable players. I mean, I, I do have slight reservations, although I'm I'm very supportive and understanding of the green agenda. I, as a fund manager, I, I I much prefer to invest in businesses that can stand on their own two feet uh, and are yeah. profitable and cash generative and can grow without the need of government subsidy. So I'm always slightly wary of businesses that require subsidy to be profitable. Um, so so, so I sort of throw that general caveat out there. I mean, from an infrastructure perspective, more generally, um, the government seem pretty vocal in terms of supporting uh, infrastructure spend, I think making something like 600 billion uh, available to address uh, historic infrastructure under investment as part of the building back better. Uh, and we can certainly get exposure to that through uh, the mid-cap space. Typically, it's the sort of picks and shovels. It's the suppliers into that infrastructure investment. So uh, companies like Hill & Smith, Polypipe, Marshalls. uh, And and you're also seeing big capital investment and infrastructure spend internationally as well. So a company like Ashtead is certainly benefiting uh, and will benefit from uh, infrastructure spend over
0: in the US, for example. Now, you touched on the AIM market and... You've also reminded us that the fund needs to be 70% or more in the mid-cap, but you do currently have around 10% in the AIM market, and that, as a market's done pretty well uh, in the last year or so. What's the story behind the, the, the stocks that you hold that are listed on the AIM market?
1: Yeah, the A market is always it's always an area of the stock market I found very interesting. Um, there's a pretty eclectic mix of businesses on there, and it's certainly ebbed and flowed in terms of its reputation. Yeah. Um, now, as I said, 70% minimum FTSE 250. I can invest up to 15% in the FTSE 100, which, which is there really as a mechanism Uh by which I I don't need to sell FTSE 250 stocks if they get promoted. However, that does leave a certain percentage of the fund I can invest elsewhere. And yes, around 10% of the fund currently is invested in uh, the AIM space. Uh, It did, as an index, perform well last year. Interestingly, um, in terms of what drove that, um, we talked about renewables earlier, the ITM power Ceres to hydrogen um, uh, hydrogen energy uh, stocks relatively early uh, stage from a profitability perspective were good performers. Uh, they are also uh, benefited from um, some great performers in uh, computer software and gaming companies as well as online retailers like uh, Asos and Boohoo. When When I look at the AIM exposure we have the vast majority of it, if it is uh, circa 10% of the fund, 9% of that 10% would qualify for the FTSE 250 by market capitalization.
0: Now, that's interesting because um, it's often thought that AIM are very, very small companies, but you know, and I do as well. Actually, some of those companies, if they were listed on the full London Stock Exchange, would be in the mid-cap index.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So companies like Fevertree, the premium drinks mixers, valued at 2.8 billion Uh, Breeden and construction materials which we hold one and a half billion we have a holding in Boohoo that's around four billion Um, and healthcare companies like Clinogen is around a billion so you know these are profitable businesses that would sit very well uh, inside the FTSE 250.
0: Now when we do our podcast we like to talk about one or two stock names that people may have heard of who listen to uh, the podcast so we've drawn out a couple, you've touched briefly on Pets, so one is Pets at Home, Um, maybe a a, a moment or two on that, and then maybe a moment or two on Dun Elm.
1: Uh, Right, yes, Dun Elm uh, and Pets, yes, two two, uh, companies I like very much, both market leaders, um, both exposed to the consumer, uh, both with a multi-channel offering and both with, increasing uh, or benefiting increasingly from uh technology investment which is helping to increase customer service and should uh increase the customer lifetime value as well um both have uh, benefited actually to some degree from uh from covid uh interestingly less than you might think um it was actually deemed to be essential for the first two lockdowns and non-essential for the third. So they've had their shops closed uh, for a while now. Um, However, they've carried on trading well, and uh, that has come around principally because of their online sales. and, and, And this is a part of the business that has really developed over the last Um, few years. In the second half of 2020, the digital revenues, uh, for example, this is home delivered and click and collect were up um, 110% um, and now represent 35% of revenue of that business. And if you go back um, not that long for five, seven years, that would have been close to zero. Uh, yeah. So it really shows um, uh, the, the the impact and really the necessity of having uh, a multi-channel offering now.
0: And by multi-channel, you mean an online and offline presence? Yeah, that's right.
1: Stores uh, and an online presence. Yeah. And being able to give customers great flexibility in how they shop, how they pay, uh, whether they go in and collect the goods from in-store, whether they have them delivered at home or whether they just go in and look around stores and buy uh, when they're there um you know we, we we've seen the demise of the high street or, or ongoing issues in the high street i should say uh, and so where these companies have their stores is very important and part of the due diligence as a fund manager is to have a look at that and you know, i have to say uh Dunnell has been a long-term holding if you speak to landlords um uh, and, and I'm not talking about recently but over the last sort of 10-15 years there's always been a very consistent story that they've been very judicious with the leases that they take on and the locations they take on and, and that's now stands them in very good stead relative to those who are just sort of happy to open their uh, stores anywhere
0: uh, from what I could say um, anyway. Pets at home and multi-channel what 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 are they doing right?
1: Yeah, Pets at Home again, offering uh, great multi-channel flexibility. They have stores; uh, you can buy online as well. Uh, again, a company that 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 I think most of the benefits will be ahead of it. Actually, in terms of the investments it's made uh, from a technological perspective, and and this 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 business model, I think is 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 very interesting for um, a number of reasons, but one in particular, and that is. The ability of a retailer to generate some annuity income, by that I mean, as a, a a repeatable income stream from its consumers. If you think about the the the, the sort of the process of pet ownership, and and we have uh, 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 dogs at home, um, you know there are monthly, there are annual, there are quarterly, and in fact daily bills that you have. Uh, you know, worming, flea, food, healthcare plans. These are all products that consumers buy on a regular basis and what pets at home is starting to do very well is to increase um, is increase things like uh, people who are a part of their VIP membership for example they've got 5.7 million active customers currently and over time it's hoped that that number will grow and that the customer base itself will buy more products and services on a repeat basis. And that really offers something that retailers couldn't give uh, investors access to, uh, even as little ago as 10 years.
0: Yeah, good recurring income always helps. So maybe then just to, to finish, and we've probably come full circle talking about the UK market as a market and how you know, overseas investors look at the UK stock market. One option that obviously foreign companies have is to is to buy British companies. What what do you think about mergers and acquisition or MA? Do you suspect that will pick up as we go through the year, or
1: or not? Yeah, it's been the UK UK um, equity ownership has been. Um, yeah, it's since 2016, there's been a pretty clear and consistent flow of capital away from UK equities. Um, as a consequence of that, on a relative basis, UK equities look cheap, certainly when you compare them to international equities. Um, yeah. If you look at the mid-cap space and compare the cost of debt and the, the income you can get from these businesses, um, they also look cheap on an absolute basis. Um, and it's been quite frustrating sitting here as a mid-cap investor when I look at the returns you've been able to get in into space. Uh, you, you know, we talk about you know annualized returns, and over ten years, the mid-cap space returned 8.7 um, uh, percent a year. That was up to the to the end of December 2020. But if you look over a longer time period, the numbers are very similar. And indeed, the annualized return over 30 years is just a little short of 11%. So you can see, uh, and, and that really has come about because this is an area rich in businesses that have the ability to change and adapt and grow and, increasing their, and increase their economic output. And that hasn't changed. So from where I sit, it can be quite frustrating seeing these great businesses and the lack of interest that international investors have. Now, what I find interesting uh, in, if from an M&A perspective yeah, we have seen um and pick up and it really started to pick up in the middle of last year. And that said to me that there were people out there who were prepared to take a long-term view that saw this area as cheap and saw this area as having uh, interesting value. And, and, and what I've also found interesting is that the, the MA that we've seen, uh, the buyers have been not only private equity buyers and financial buyers, but corporate buyers as well. Um, and they've been domestic UK buyers, and they've been international buyers. And we've also seen, from an M&A perspective, a very broad spread in terms of the end uh, the end markets that these customers uh, are exposed to. Companies like McCarthy and Stone. Uh, on, the, on the housing side, urban and civic uh, property as well, Codemasters, uh, which is a, a gaming company, um, Apple Green, which uh, some people may have seen around, owns Petrol Forecourts, uh, uh, RSA uh, and the uh, FTSE 100. So a, a really broad, diverse spread of businesses. And given the spread between um uh, the, the 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 cost of debt and the income that you can earn from this, these businesses, I suspect it's going to be something that we see more of going forwards.
0: Well, given we're just approaching five years to the Brexit referendum, maybe there will be some genuine interest in UK equities and the richness that the mid-cap index and active stock pickers like yourself um, can, you know, find plenty of opportunity in that area, which may get some support at last. So Chris, thank you very much for your time. If you would like any further information on the AXA Framlington UK Midcap Fund, please do visit fundcaliber.com. And if you enjoy listening to our Investing on the Go podcast, please subscribe via any usual podcast channels. Please remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell. The Fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of listening.